Romans chapter 10. We're going to study Romans chapter 10, but what I want to hit on today is because we spent the last three weeks talking about, about uh, um, uh, election, talking about predestination and election. You know, there's this thought, why evangelize if they're going to get saved anyway? And the Bible never teaches that people are going to get saved anyway. Never teaches that. It says people are going to be saved a certain way. They're not going to be saved anyway. They're going to be saved a certain way. And just as God has predetermined the ends, He's also predetermined the means. And the means by which people are going to be saved is through the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the believers, and through the preaching of the Word of God. And when the when the Word of God is preached, they will hear and they will come. They will turn. Even as it says in Acts twenty eight twenty eight, it says it says, I am going to the Gentiles and they will listen. They will listen. God has predetermined these things that people are going to listen to the gospel, they will hear the gospel and they will get saved. So it's not that people are going to get saved anyway. They're going to get saved a certain way. And the certain way is through the prayers of the saints and the preaching of the gospel. That's how people are going to be saved. And and uh, uh, so he has, he has determined this. He's done this. God knows everything. Before we even speak, God knows what we're going to say. Let me read to you a portion out of Psalm chapter 139, verses 1 through 6. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is the word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. So, it is hard for us to understand, hard for us to understand this whole idea of predestination and election. But here, even the psalmist writes, he says, you know, you know everything. Even before I speak, you know it. You've enclosed me behind and before, and these things are too high to me. And even as we've read out of Isaiah and seen these different verses, and that salvation is of the Lord, our faith is, is from the Lord, that our will is, is, is from the Lord, uh, these things are hard for us to understand. But this is what the Word of God teaches. And what I've seen is that when people have this sort of understanding, that God has determined a people that are to be saved, what it does is it causes us to be better evangelists because there are fish that are here to be caught, as the Scriptures put it. That's not my description. That's the the Scriptures' own description, that they are here to be caught. And it makes you actually even a, a more intense evangelist in doing that. So let's start reading from chapter 10, book of Romans chapter 10. Let's start reading from verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeing the and not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. 
For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that a man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will descend, uh, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which you are, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, so, you know, sometimes people think that, that, that those that, that, um, those that would hold to election or predestination somehow don't care enough about those who are lost. And we talked about that in chapter 9, verses, verses 1 through 3, where Paul said, look, just let me start out by saying I'd be willing to give up my own salvation if I could see my Jewish brethren come to a knowledge of Jesus. I mean, that that is just an amazing, amazing display of love. So he puts that idea to rest. And then in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For many years, I prayed that I would see people get saved. For many years. And and um, uh, I would see people get saved, but only two or three people a year. And and uh, for me, that was just, just totally inadequate compared to what the scriptures seemed to teach. And then I started to make it a matter of prayer, deep prayer. And what Paul says here, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. So he wasn't just praying, but it was his heart's desire, his heart's desire. And that's why, that's why when Jeremiah says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. That was a prayer that was used by, that, that's from Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 1, that, that, uh, uh, George Whitfield used to, used to proclaim to himself, Oh, that my, my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And then and then uh, 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 Charles Spurgeon picked up that same practice of praying that verse, that his heart would break for the lost, his heart would break for the lost around him. And Charles Spurgeon then would say that we have to cry out like Rachel did in Genesis chapter 30, verse 1. Give me children or I die. We must cry out, give me children or I die. These men were passionate, passionate about seeing the unsaved get saved. My own experience is exactly what they say. If my heart's desire is not coupled to the prayer, it doesn't work. Prayer alone does not seem to work to see people get saved in my own experience. My own experience is exactly what it says here. It says, brethren, my heart's desire. When my heart's desire gets coupled in with that prayer. So if you really want to see people saved through this, make it your heart's desire where you would pray every day, Lord, let me see salvations. Lord, let me see salvations. Lord, I pray that people would get saved through my testimony. 
the heart's desire must be coupled to the prayer of salvation in order to see people saved. Then he says in verse 2 of, of chapter 10 of Romans, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but it is not according not in accordance with knowledge. So he's speaking about the, the, the Jewish people. He's speaking about Israel. That's just what he finished up with in, uh, in the end of chapter nine. And he continues to speak about this. He says they have a zeal. I mean, you look at Orthodox Jews. They have a zeal. They're quite zealous. But he says, but it's not in accordance with knowledge. And what he's speaking here, this Greek word is, is epigenosis, this, this full knowledge. He does not have the full knowledge. Not the gnosis, but the epigenosis, the full knowledge. They don't have the full knowledge. They don't have it in Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying is, you can be as Jewish as you want to be. It's not going to get you there. Without Yeshua, without the Messiah, without faith in Him, it's going to be inadequate. There must be a recognition that this comes through faith in Jesus Christ. There's, there's no hope for anyone without Jesus. There's no salvation for anyone. Without Jesus. He says, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So they don't, they didn't understand about Jesus and they tried to get a righteousness of their own. So remember, it wasn't just the 613 commandments of, of, of Moses. For every one of these commandments, they put lots and lots of human-made commandments of which Jesus spoke of with great disdain. He said the, the words of men have made the God of, made, made God's word of no effect. And Jesus, at many opportunities, he, he disdained their, their, their teachings. Uh, one of them was, was, uh, eating without the washing, without properly washing their hands according to the Mishnaic rules. I mean, he'd have nothing to do with that. And uh, 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 he didn't. He didn't instruct his disciples that they had to do that. Um, there were times that, for example, when he he made he he took spittle and he made a little mud and applied it to a person's eye and and had him healed. And another time when he spit in a person's ear for healing. Why would he do that? Why would he do such a strange thing? Because of the Hebrew writings. The Hebrew writings are clear. It says that you should not apply spit to the eyes. When you try to do a healing, you should not apply spit to the ears. Jesus did exactly what they said you shouldn't do, which showed his disdain for all of these other commandments. When we put upon people all these other commandments that are not of God, this is wrong. We can put upon ourselves whatever we want. I mean, I I prefer to eat low gluten. I don't think you should eat low gluten. You do whatever you want. It has nothing to do. You know, that's something I want to put on myself. Uh, I don't drink coffee because it, it, it just, just gives me terrible reflux problems. So I, I don't drink coffee, but I just, you go ahead, you drink all the coffee you want. And I'm not putting upon you anything that's not in the Word of God. And, and, uh, uh, and we're going to talk more about that in, in this book in particular. But they tried to get a righteousness of their own, but, but faith, this is purely taught, this is faith in the Messiah apart from human works. This is what we're called to do. And this is what the Gentiles were receiving while Israel was not. Verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Jesus is the end of the law. He's the goal of the law, and he's the, it's the end of it. 
It's over. We're no longer under the law of Moses. We're not under the law of Moses anymore. And and if anybody says, oh, well, I, I want to follow the laws of Moses, you can't. You cannot. It is impossible. Because, because two-thirds of the 613 commandments revolve around temple worship, and the temple isn't even there. So of the remaining one-third, the Bible says, if you break one of them, you've broken them all. So you're breaking two-thirds of them. It's impossible to walk by these things today. And Jesus is the only one who fulfilled all of this. Jesus fulfilled all of this. So if you look, for example, in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, um, verse 10, Paul is nailing this home to the Galatians. He's speaking in very strong terms to the Galatians. If you think that I, I speak, you know, frankly and harshly to people when I'm teaching, uh, you read the book of Galatians. I, I am like, I'm a pussycat compared to what Paul, the way he teaches. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, For as many as are the works of the law, for as many are of the works of the law, are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. The righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive, so, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This blessing of God has come to the Gentiles. The Gentiles don't struggle with this thing of being under the law. Sometimes they start going astray and they start struggling with it. And Paul says to them, what on earth are you doing? Why do you think that you're going to go under the law and do any better? He says, be free of this. Let's look in Galatians chapter 3, jump down to verse 24. Galatians 3, 24. For the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. So, uh, uh, th- th- this, this is just packed. I mean, this is filled up with, with treasures here. He says, therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Uh, the King James puts it a schoolmaster. What was the law there for? To bring us to Christ, to show that we couldn't fulfill the law. We, it showed us our own weakness. Every time we break one of these 613 commandments, it shows us our weakness and we're, it's supposed to move us to faith. And, and, uh, uh, and then he says in, in verse, in verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So we're no longer under this law. 
For you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You've been baptized in Christ, you've clothed yourselves with Christ. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female. This means everybody, regardless of status, whether you're a king or whether you're a slave, whether you're male or female, everybody, there's salvation only in Jesus. There is one way of salvation. We are all one in Christ. He says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Functionally, we might be different. Functionally, we have different roles. But as far as it, it, it has to do with salvation, we are all one in Christ. It says that if you were baptized in Christ Jesus, you've clothed yourselves with Christ. And I will mention that if you are not baptized, you really ought to be. You really ought to be baptized. You go, oh, well, there's another thing Jim Tour is putting upon you. I didn't put it upon you. This Bible puts it upon you. Obey it. Obey it. God has it. See, well, getting baptized is embarrassing. Good, be embarrassed. Be embarrassed. You go into the waters of baptism. And if you if if you're at West University Baptist Church, you just just send me an email and and we'll get you baptized. And and it'll happen on a Sunday morning and one of the pastors will do it. You ought to be baptized because if you're not, I have never seen anybody who has gone unbaptized in their life and have a victorious life because there's this glaring thing of, of, of disobedience. So just go ahead and get baptized. Just suck it up. Go ahead and get baptized. Obey the word of God. Just do it and you'll be fine. And then he says, he says, uh, uh, he says, we're all one in Christ. And he says, if you're a Gentile, let me tell you something. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the, to the promise. The promise of God has come upon you. It's come upon you. And then let's turn back to, to Romans. Let's turn back to the book of Romans. He says in, in verse 5 of, of chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 5, For Moses writes that man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. So you want to, you want to go ahead and, and try to practice the law? Go ahead. Go ahead, he says. Try to live by it. Because he's, he's talking about Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, which says, Leviticus 18, 5 says, So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments, by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. So he says, go ahead, you, you live by that. What you're going to see is you're going you're gonna to have to confess that you just can't do it, and you're going to have to turn and live by faith. So in verse 6 of, of Romans chapter 10, Verse 6 of Romans chapter 10 says, But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. So what he's talking about, he is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. So, so Paul is taking quotations from the book of Deuteronomy, where Moses is speaking in the book of Deuteronomy. And if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, Moses writes this, Moreover, the Lord, this in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and so that you may live. Look at what Moses writes. He, Moses is the one that talking about heart circumcision. Not just flesh circumcision, but heart circumcision. You think, you think that, that, that the New Testament was the first to talk about this? No, Moses talked about this. He says, what we're trying to get at is we're trying to get at your heart, where your heart becomes dedicated to the Lord. Not just your physical body, but your heart. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Moses is getting at our heart and he's talking about the nearness of God. He's talking about the nearness of God's righteousness. And then look in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. What he's saying is the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God is very close to us. It's not far away. It's not in heaven. It's not in the abyss. And so that's why if we turn back to Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, verse 5, For Moses writes that a man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? And then Paul parenthetically says, that is to bring Christ down. He says, we've already had the incarnate Christ. Jesus has come down from heaven. He's come down in the flesh. Jesus has already done it. You don't have to redo this. It's already done. Then he says, and who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead in verse 7. That's Romans chapter 10, verse 7. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, you don't have to have another resurrection. Jesus has already risen from the dead. This is already done. And he says then in verse 8, but what does it say? The word of God is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. It's very close to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. This thing is already there. Don't you see? It's already there. And then in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is, this is the verse, the culmination of every time that I witness to a person, I bring them right around to first seeing that they are sinners, nothing they can do about it. Jesus has paid the price for them. God has paid the, the price on their behalf. And then I, I always culminate on Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, how can any educated person believe in anything as incredible as the resurrection? I speak to PhDs all the time. How can anyone believe in anything as incredible as the resurrection? If you're an educated person, how can you believe it? And I say to people, have you seen a resurrection? No, neither have I. Never seen anybody who was in the grave and come out and physically alive, where I could touch them and, and eat with them and and uh, so how do you expect people to believe that? How do educated people believe that? How can that happen? Here's how it happens. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. The word of faith is this. It's already in your heart. So this is what I do. If any of you have been led to the Lord... By me in, in the recent, in, in the last several years, you, you'll know this is what I do. I, I, I say, how, I, I ask this question. After we study this verse, we talk about the resurrection, I ask them this question. I say, you know, every week I share 
the same story with somebody, most of them highly educated people. And they go, over the course of this 30-minute conversation, they go from not believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ to believing in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you think that happens? That's my question. How do they go from not believing in the resurrection to believing in the resurrection in a 30-minute conversation? And then I pause. I'm waiting for an answer from them. Most of them say, I have no idea. I have no idea how a person goes from not believing in the resurrection to believing in the resurrection in a 30-minute conversation. And then I, I reply, it's because the truth of the resurrection is already in their heart. The truth of the resurrection is already there. It would be too high a barrier for God to have us believe in something that we've never seen, namely a resurrection, in order to be saved. If the, if the disciples were just trying to, to build a new religion, they would just say, well, you got to believe Jesus loved the little children. Okay, I can believe that. And then lots of people would get saved. But no, he puts before us a barrier that's just too crazy high. So the truth of the resurrection must already be in their heart. And then this is what I say to them. And it's already in your heart. It's already in your heart. And do you know how I know that? And they say, how? I said, because you contacted me. Because I gave an invitation that if anyone wants to hear about how I became a person of faith and why I believe these things, to write to me. And you wrote to me today. You wrote to me an email. You wanted this meeting. If you were not among those that have this already written in your heart, you never would have reached out to me. This would be a waste of an hour for you. But because you wrote to me, I know the truth of the resurrection is there already. It's already there. And then I say, I'm going to pray right around Romans chapter 10, verse 9. I never ask people, do you want to pray to receive Jesus? Not that that's wrong, but I never ask them that. And I'll tell you why I never ask them that. I never ask people, do they want to pray to be saved? The reason I don't ask them is because people are programmed to say no. People are programmed to say no. So I don't ask them. You say, well, that, that's not right. Well, why should I ask them? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, this is his commandment that we believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. This is his commandment. God doesn't ask us, do we want to be saved? He commands us to be saved. He doesn't ask. He commands us. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't ask us. Oh, he gets our consent all right. When his power comes upon us, he gets our consent. But it's a command. We are commanded to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I don't ask. Because they've already been commanded by God. So I just say, I'm going to pray right around this, this verse 9. Chapter 10, verse 9. I'm going to pray, and I want you to repeat after me. That's what I do. If you got another way that's better, use your way. But many times people ask me, how do you do this? I'm telling you how I do it. And because I really believe these scriptures. 
It says right here in the end of verse 9, you do these things and you will be saved. You will be saved. Never says anything about believing in the in the virgin birth. Never says anything about believing in Adam and Eve. It never says anything about believing in God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, never says any of that. If that were essential for salvation, he would have told us. He would have said right here, uh, 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 you have to confess that Jesus is risen from the dead and you have to believe in a man named Adam and a woman named Eve and you will be saved. It didn't say that. Just that you will be saved. You do these things. Two things. The confession that Jesus is Lord and belief in the heart that he's risen from the dead. So I really believe exactly what the scriptures say in verse 8. The word is near you. In your mouth, you can say it. And it's in your heart. It's already in your heart in verse 8. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. What what Paul was preaching was the very word of faith, which is what I'm preaching. That the truth of the resurrection is already in their heart. I don't have to convince them of anything. The truth of the resurrection is already there. I'm just calling them to confess to what's already there. You see how easy my job is? I don't have to convince them of anything. The truth of the resurrection is already in their heart. That's what it says. That's what Moses said. You don't have to go up to heaven. You don't have to go down into the abyss. I mean, it's all there. Jesus has taken care of that. Jesus has already come down from heaven. Jesus has already come up from the grave. God has just paved the way for everything. The truth of the resurrection is already in the heart. And that's why today we're going to close and I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you do not know Jesus, you're going to receive him today. And for those of you that know Jesus, I want you to repeat aloud with me. Repeat it aloud with me. It is good to repeat these things. It's good to, it's good to reassure your spouse that you still love them and you're happy to be married to them and, and to, to say these vows all over again. I, I tell Shireen, I say, Shireen, uh, I just want to marry you like 10 times so that if you ever try to divorce me, you've got to go through 10 times. You won't be able to afford it. I mean, I just, I, it's just again and again, I want to reassure her that there's no breaking this up. You stuck with me. You got me. You just repeat this again, and we're going to go through this. And somebody will hear this online. Somebody will hear this in the class, and somebody will get saved. And we're going to pray right around this verse, this Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Let's pray, and I want you to repeat after me. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins because I am a sinner. Thank you, Lord, for dying for me. I believe that Jesus is Lord, and I believe that he has risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me more like Jesus. Amen. And now, Lord, I pray that you take these people online and that you take these folks that are right there in the class. And Father, burn this right into their hearts, the truth of the resurrection. It's already there. 
that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Father, for those who may be in the class or those who may be online or those who listen to this online at another time, Father, that they would even be listening to it is testimony that the truth of the resurrection is already in their heart or they would have turned this off long ago. They would have walked out long ago. The truth of the resurrection is already there. So, Lord, get hold of their hearts and let them make this confession that I believe Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead. Glory be to your name, O Lord. Glory be to your name. Amen.